If you'll take your Bibles and join me in the book of Genesis, chapter number 21, please. The 21st chapter of the book of Genesis is where we'll find our text this morning, Genesis chapter number 21. And uh, I have to tell you that uh, we've been preaching, of course, through the life of Abraham. And a preacher sometimes, a pastor sometimes struggles on days like today if he's in the habit of preaching a series to wonder whether or not he should take a break from that particular series uh, to maybe preach a message that emphasizes just a little bit of what uh, is uh, on all of our minds today. And uh, I marvel at the Lord and just his uh, providence and directing us and leading us here to the 21st chapter of Genesis. Uh, right here in this series, uh, really just fits in line with uh, what we're celebrating today and what we're thinking on today. And, uh, and so we certainly are grateful for that. Look with me, if you would, in Genesis chapter number 21, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bore to him, bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. By the time we arrive in Genesis chapter number 21, Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90. The promise made to them concerning a son was made when Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. So if you're doing the math, they had waited 25 years from the promise to its fulfillment. Likely at 65 and 75, they had come to the conclusion, it's just not going to happen. We are never going to have a child together. And yet, at those ages, God visited them and God said, no, think again, I am going to give you a son. And yet, it would be 25 long years before this child will be born. Let that be a reminder to all of us that God's timing is rarely in alignment with ours. You and I normally operate at a frenetic or a frenzied pace, whereas God is much more deliberate. God is much more determined to bring about an outcome, but also he's determined to use the journey along the way to that outcome to teach us things about him and about ourselves. For 90 years, Sarah had worn different names and different titles. She was a daughter. She was a sister. She would become a wife and she would be a friend. She was initially called Sarai, but at a point in her life, her name was changed to Sarah. The one name, the one title that she had never secured and assumed that she never would was the title Mom. How her heart must have ached that she was never blessed to hold her own baby in her arms, to never be able to give Abraham the one thing that he longed for most in this life. We don't know exactly how Sarah knew she was pregnant or with child at her age. The 
normal identifiers would have long ceased to be in her body. But oh, what a moment it must have been when she finally realized that after 90 years of waiting, 90 years of hoping, 90 years of praying, 90 years of despairing, 90 years of believing that she was now with child and would finally be a mama. Our minds perhaps are drawn to what we think of when someone announces that they're expecting a child. Thoughts of sleepless nights, unimaginable love, pure joy and boundless hopes and dreams are often associated with the announcement of a coming child. You know, in our culture, it is not uncommon to give gifts to a new father and a new mother as they prepare to welcome their child into their home. Online registries are filled with luxuries and necessities. New furniture must be purchased and delivered and assembled and walls must be painted and rooms redecorated. I just have to tell you, I was not aware that all of those things had to happen until we found out we were expecting our firstborn. My wife came to me And she said, you know, I've been shopping around and I found some really nice furniture for the child's new room. And I said, what does she need anything like that for? My wife looked at me sort of puzzled and surprised and, well, don't you understand that she's going to need this and she's going to need that? And I said, well, of course she needs a crib to sleep. I get that, but man, all this other stuff, can't the furniture that we have, can't can't that suffice? Won't that do? And she looked at me and she said, no, we, we have to have these things. And, and so we began to purchase them and to assemble them and to prepare for the arrival of our firstborn child. Uh, in addition to that, a name must be chosen. Uh, often, often that name is chosen after months of debating, deliberating, arguing, and agonizing, and, and a myriad of other things that, uh, that must be accomplished that, that moms and dads must do as they prepare for a new baby to be born. These are things the baby needs. But I want to ask the question here this morning, what does a mom really need to be the right kind of parent? We often think about things that the baby needs and providing those things. And in essence, we, we feel like, well, we're doing something for the, for the parent. But what is it that every mom needs in order to be the right kind of parent? Let me ask this question. Is a lifetime supply of diapers and bottles sufficient? Some of you, maybe you're in the phase of purchasing diapers, and you might be thinking, that sounds really appealing right about now. But you know as well as I do that that those will soon be a distant memory and bottles the same? Can Can we successfully raise our children with money alone and maybe nicer houses and beautiful little nurseries in those homes that are decorated and and are just so beautifully done? Will will that get the job done? Can we... Can we simply raise our children by moving into communities that have really good school systems and, and just assume that, uh, that, that sending our children off to those schools is going to be sufficient to give them what they need in order to be successful in life? Is it all about what we can afford to give them? I believe in this text we discover some ingredients in Sarah's life and in Sarah's home that aided and assisted her in the raising of the only son she would ever have, a little boy by the name of Isaac. What do we discover in our text that every mom needs to be the mother 
that God would have them to be. I, I want to propose to you four specific ingredients, four specific necessities that I believe are so important if you're going to be the mom, the parent, really, that God would have you to be. Number one, number one is the power of God. The power of God. In verse number one, the Bible says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. Notice, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Notice, notice, first of all, we discover, as we think about the power of God at work in the life of Sarah to enable her to be the parent that God would have her to be, we discover, number one, that Sarah was dependent on God's power simply to conceive a child. She was dependent on the power of God to conceive a child. You know, in the prime of her life, when she was in her 20s and 30s and 40s, she had been incapable of conceiving a child. For her entire married life, she bore the painful title of barren. And now that she was 90, the thought of conceiving and having a child, that thought was unthinkable, no doubt to her and to everyone who knew her. Uh, Paul would write in Romans chapter 4 and verse number 19 that her womb, her womb was dead that it was dead, that, it, uh, that, that it, had, it had ceased to exist, as it were. Uh, he would later write, if you believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews, uh, regardless of who wrote the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11 says that she was past age. All of these things were true. If Sarah, listen, if Sarah was to ever be a mother, it was out of her hands, and it was out of Abraham's hands, because this was something that only God could do. And isn't it great to know that there is no limit, there is no limit to what our God can do. Isn't that encouraging? You and I may proclaim something to be dead, uh, but God in his power is able to restore it back to life. And I, here, here's the point, I don't know what dream, I don't know what hope has died in your heart and in your life. I don't know what dream or hope has died in your home, but here's what I do know. I know that the power of God is sufficient to raise it up again. I know that. If God could visit Sarah and allow her to conceive at the age of 90, surely, surely he can take care of whatever it is that you might be facing today. Sarah was dependent on God's power to conceive a child. But notice, secondly, Sarah was dependent on God's timing to conceive a child. The Bible says very clearly in verse number two that this child was conceived at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Here's the question. Why did God give the promise 25 years prior to its fulfillment? You ever wonder about that? You ever wonder why God doesn't do what you want him to do, what we want him to do right now, immediately? Why do we have to wait sometimes? Why do we have to agonize sometimes over various things? Why didn't God move at a faster pace than he did? You know, the answers to these questions might never be fully known to us. Though it may not seem or feel like it, God is always on time. You see, you see what God was doing in, in, in Sarah's life? God wanted, God wanted Sarah to get to the point where, where everyone who would hear her story, everyone who would, would think about a 90-year-old bearing a son would think to themselves, that is only something that God can do. Likely you've been, you've been to the grocery store and you've happened upon a tabloid that talks of a 
60 or 65 year old having a baby. I don't know how true that kind of stuff is. I, I, I typically don't pick it up and buy it and go home and read it, but I've, I've certainly seen the headlines before. But I don't even know, I don't even know if, if, the, if the National Enquirer could come up with something so crazy as a 90 year old having a child. That's unheard of. That's not something that we would ever think of. And, and I, I believe in some respects God waited until this point to the point where, where everyone could look at this and say, that wasn't, that wasn't a work of Abraham and Sarah. That was a work of Almighty God. And sometimes maybe, maybe God has you wait a little bit longer than you would like to. God has you hold on just a little bit longer than you want to so that at a certain point in time he can give whatever it is to you that you've been praying for and that you've been hoping for and that you've been longing for so that for the rest of your days you can say, I had nothing to do with it. It wasn't anything that I could do. This was something that only God could do. The birth of Ishmael, as we think about it, as Sarah and Abraham, it would be their greatest regret. Why? Because they did not submit to God's timing. They got out ahead of God. And every time, listen, every time you and I think that we can help God along, that we can do a little something here, a little something there to, uh, to aid or assist God in his work and in what he's doing in our lives is always, always a mistake. The birth of Ishmael would greatly complicate the lives of Abraham and Sarah, and we'll even see evidence of that in this very chapter just just in a little bit. You and I must learn and acknowledge that we cannot speed God up, nor, nor can we slow what he is doing down. Our lives are in his hands, and our responsibility is to simply wait on him and trust in him. Every, listen, every child conceived is a miracle of God's divine power. We hear much today about family planning, and, but the reality is this, and the reality is a baby is never born by accident. Each child born into this world, listen, is a living soul, uniquely created and designed by God's power for a purpose. And I want you to know it, it's going to require the power of God not only to conceive that child and to form that child in the womb and to have that child born into this world, but it's also going to require the power of God to raise that child for his honor and for his glory. But not only did Sarah need the power of God to be the mother that God would have her to be, but notice there's a second ingredient that I find in our text. Not only the power of God, but also, number two, a godly husband. A godly husband. Perhaps, perhaps the men in this room have, have already checked out of the message this morning. Maybe you're thinking about lunch plans or maybe you're thinking about things you have to do this week. And you've, and you've determined, determined, well, that's okay because this message is for the ladies. Well, I want you to check back in for just a few minutes, would you? Because here's, listen, here's what every mom, here's what every mom needs in order to raise her children. She needs, listen, she needs a connected, involved, diligent, godly husband working alongside of her. As we read our text, we discover in verses 3 and 4 that Abraham, when the child is born, Abraham steps up to, to lead his home. I have to tell you that as men for far too long, we have relied on, we have allowed our wives to set the spiritual temperature in our homes. Can I say that is not to our advantage? That's not how God set it up. That's not how God designed it. God designed men that you and I be the leaders in the home. 
that we set the temperature spiritually in the home, that, that, that mom doesn't have to drag the children to church behind her, but that dad is involved in, in the dragging of children to church, because sometimes it does require a dragging, doesn't it? That, that, that we do this together, that we, that we love God together, that we serve God together, that we raise our children for God's honor and God's glory together. And I want you to notice with me that Abraham, Abraham does some specific things. And, and, I, and I do want to pause for just a moment because some of you, maybe you're sitting in this room and you'd say, but my, my, my husband is not on the same page as me spiritually and, and I don't really know what to do about that. Some of you, you might even have to say, my, my husband's not even around. Maybe, maybe he pr- passed prematurely or maybe, maybe he's left me to raise these children by my own. And I just want you, I just want you to know that, that it can be done. It's just a whole lot easier when you have a godly husband in the picture. Say, well, give me some proof that it can be done. Well, the Bible's pretty clear about the young man by the name of Timothy that he didn't have a godly father, but he did have a godly mama and a godly grandmother. And Paul references that in 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Paul says in chapter number 3 that from a child... That, that, that young man had known the Holy Scriptures which were able to make him wise unto salvation. So it can be done. It just is a little bit easier when there's a godly husband in the picture. Notice what Abraham, what Abraham did in our text. Number one, Abraham obeyed God in the naming of his son. Verse number three, the Bible says, And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Now, this is why it's so important that we that we, that we compare Scripture with Scripture, because if you were just reading this, you would think, well, they must have liked the name of it. They must have liked the sound of it. No, no, there's more to it than that. You see, in Genesis chapter number 17, uh, the Bible is clear that God came to Abraham and God said, you're going to have a son with Sarah, and the name of that son is going to be Isaac. In other words, God had named that boy The Lord named this son that was to be born to them. He did so in Genesis 17 and verse number 19. Though Abraham might have preferred a maybe a more royal or regal name. You see, the name Isaac means laughter. And in those days, the the, the naming of a child was so important what that name meant and what it stood for. And, and, And Abraham might have preferred a different name. But listen, this was the name that God had chosen. And this was the name that he would be given At times, at times, you must understand this, that Abraham and Sarah had laughed. Likely like you have laughed when thinking of a baby being born to a man who is 100 and a woman who is 90. The world, can I say, the world laughs and mocks at the promises of God, but this never negates a single one of them. Let the world laugh. Let the world mock. Let the world scorn. But remember this, God is faithful. And every time, every time they'd look at that boy, they'd think about that. The world said this was impossible. We even said it was impossible. In fact, when God said it was going to happen, at points in times, both of us laughed about it. But look what God has done. Look what God has done. God is faithful. And Abraham was determined to obey God by naming his son Isaac. But notice, secondly, Abraham obeyed God in the circumcising of his son. According to verse number 4. The covenant required a sign, the covenant between God and Abraham. And God chose the sign of circumcision to represent the covenant between them. In this way, Abraham and his male offspring would be set apart from the world around them. 
But listen, God didn't just determine the sign, but God also commanded the day that this sign was to be done. The Bible says in Genesis 17 and verse number 12 that Abraham was to circumcise the males born in his home on the eighth day of their life. What do we find in Genesis 21 and verse number 4? The Bible is pretty clear that Abraham circumcised his son being eight days old. So in verse number three, Abraham stepped up. Abraham, what are you going to name him? Well, I, I, I didn't get a chance to name him. You see, God appeared to me several years ago, and God reminded me that this was still going to happen, and God named this son. His name is Isaac. Abraham, are you sure? There's a lot of other better names. That means Laughter. Abraham, don't you want to name him after you? Don't you want to name him after a, 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 a family member somewhere down the line? Are you sure that you want to name him? We're not going to argue about it. God has chosen his name. His name is to be Isaac. Eight days into his existence, Abraham gathers his little boy. We don't know much about it, but Abraham performs this procedure on him. And I have to thank those around him. Abraham, are you sure? Abraham, don't, don't you realize what you're doing to your child? Abraham, is this, really, is this really what you want to do? And Abraham said, God told me on the eighth day to circumcise this child. I'm going to obey God. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if every man in this room looked at this book and just said, Lord, whatever you tell me to do in this book, I'm going to do it. Wouldn't that be great? Don't you suppose that would revolutionize our church? Don't you suppose that would revolutionize your home? Take it a step further, don't you suppose that would revolutionize our community? Just to simply obey God at his word when he asks us to do hard things, when he asks us to do easy things, when he asks us to do whatever it might be to simply obey God. We now know, we now know scientifically and medically that the eighth day is the perfect or ideal day to circumcise a little baby boy. According to a study conducted by Dr. S.I. McMillan, on the eighth day, the blood clotting and the infection fighting agents are at their combined best. This study was conducted in the 1940s, and yet thousands of years prior, God ordained it to be this way. And Abraham, Abraham was faithful to obey the Lord's word. Listen, when you think, ladies, when you think of a husband for yourself, those of you that are not yet married, when you think of a daddy for your children, sometimes we, we, look, for, we look for outward things, don't we? You know, he, he, he looks really handsome. He looks really strong. He looks really athletic. He, he, looks like, he looks like he's going to be a real success in this world. Can I encourage you ladies to look for a man who walks with God? A man who loves God? And a man, listen, a man who gives evidence that he is going to obey God in whatever it is that God requires of him. Every mother, every mother in this room will greatly benefit from a godly husband by her side. Notice the third ingredient that is necessary for every mother to have. Not only, not only a, the power of God and a godly husband. Notice thirdly, a joyful song. A joyful song. Would you look with me, if you would, in verse number six. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a child in his old age. This is known, this, this particular passage, these two verses, is known as the carol of Sarah. The word carol, it means a song of joy, rapture, or gladness. 
Her, her song at the long-awaited birth of Isaac is considered to be a forerunner of two other songs that are sung by grateful mothers in the scriptures. Their names were Hannah in the Old Testament and Mary, the, the earthly mother of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Can I say, listen, it is not unusual at all as we think about moms and we think about the raising of their children. It's not unusual at all for a mom to hum quietly a comforting tune to get her child to be calm or to rest. Perhaps maybe you've seen a new mom holding her little baby. The baby's a little fussy and and she's maybe rocking that baby back and forth and maybe she's even humming or maybe singing a sweet little tune into its ears. That's not unusual or familiar with that. Most of you, perhaps, maybe you can even remember a a song that your mom sang, or you have some memories of something along those lines, or those of you that have been moms, you are moms, you can think of a time in which you sung a song to to your children. Most mothers are familiar with this practice. Here's the question, what kind of song did Sarah sing? Notice, I, I think there's, there's two elements to the song. First of all, Sarah sung a song that reminded her and that reminded her little boy that God is able. She sang a song that reminded her that God is able. Would you look in verse number six? And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. See, when she initially laughed at God's promise that she would bear a son in her old age, God heard her laugh that day. And do you know what God asked her on that day? God asked this question in Genesis 18 and verse number 14. Here's the question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for As Sarah laughed at the promise that she and her old age was going to have a son, she laughed and God, God heard her and God asked of her that day, is there anything that's too hard for God? And as we said a moment ago, there's nothing, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. God is not limited like you and I are limited. Sarah would discover that God is able to do anything that he wills or determines to do. And don't you suppose, don't you suppose moms and dads, that it would be important for us to raise our children knowing, knowing that their God is able to do anything that he wants to do. Don't you think our children should know that? They should learn that lesson before they leave our homes That's going to require every once in a while perhaps us letting them know, hey, listen, we're dealing with a need as a family. There's there's some things that we're wrestling with here, maybe financially or maybe with a job situation or maybe, you know, internally here in our home. We're we're struggling a little bit and we've we've got to reach out to God. We've got to pray to God to see what he's going to do. And then when God answers and when God works, we can show our children, see, look what our God did. She sang a song that reminded her that God is able, Paul wrote, about God's power in Ephesians 3 and verse number 20, that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Again, don't you suppose that our children will be blessed to grow up in a home where mom sings faithfully of God's power and ability to do anything. But notice, secondly, she she sang a song that reminded her not only that God was able, but that reminded her as a mom of her great responsibility. In verse number seven of our text, she talks about the fact that she, as Sarah, should have given children suck. Sarah understood that this child was dependent upon her for life itself. Just as she had come to depend upon the Lord and to find him faithful, now she could see that someone was depending on her. 
That term is a term that references a child drawing milk from his mother's breast. Sarah had never, listen, Sarah had never been able to enjoy such a bonding experience, but now, at the age of 90, she could. She acknowledged the great responsibility of being a parent and having a child. You know, the Bible tells us uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes that when he became a man, he put away childish things. Do you know what I hear more often more often from, uh, from those that are parents is something along these lines. You know, I really wasn't all that interested in spiritual things. I really didn't think a whole lot about my responsibility to God or my relationship with him until, until what? Many, many times folks grow up in a good church like this one and they sort of wander away. They kind of go their own way, do their own thing. At a point in time, perhaps they marry. They find out that they're expecting and they're going to have a child and that child is born it's almost like a light bulb goes off in their minds. Hold on a minute. I've got a, a little child depending on me. I have an eternal soul that has been given to me to steward and to steward well. And I, I, I want that child. I want that child to be raised the same way I was raised. And oftentimes the birth of a child brings a mom or a dad back into alignment with God's will. I say that as parents it is imperative that we that we, that we grow up and that we mature because our little ones are depending on us to be there for them and to lead them. In a world filled with so much noise, much of the noise in our world is profane, it's vulgar, it's offensive to God, and it's offensive to those of us who love the Lord. What a benefit is for, it is for our children to grow up in a home where mama sings, where mama sings a joyful song of praise and adoration to God. What a great thing it is for our children to grow up in a home where they learn that God can do anything. What a great, great thing it is for our children to grow up in a home where we're singing a song reminding us of our great responsibility to raise them in the nurture and the ad, admonition of the Lord. May the Lord fill our hearts with his song and may we be faithful to sing it and teach it to our children. But you know, there's a fourth thing that I find in our text. Not only the power of God, a godly husband, a joyful song, but I believe every mama needs this in order to raise their children successfully, to raise them well, and that is number four, a loose grip. A loose grip. Would you look with me in verse number eight? And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. You know our children, listen, our children are loaned to us from God for a brief period of their lives. Most parents view their children as if they belong to them, and, and there is a sense in which that is true. But can I remind you that the reality is that your children don't belong to you, your children belong to God. That children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. And our children aren't truly ours because they're a miracle creation of God. In this one verse, in this one verse, we, we, we really see how quickly our children grow. Some might wish to keep uh, your little ones at a certain stage of life forever. But I just here to remind you, that is simply not possible. The Bible indicates that Isaac was born, and then he immediately began to grow. In fact, if they don't grow, there's something wrong. At some point, he was weaned. That term weaned means that he was healthy and robust and capable of digesting stronger food and living upon it. And so he was weaned from his mother's breast. We see, don't we, don't we see the difference between, between fathers and mothers in this one verse as we consider this idea of our children growing? 
I don't know if you noticed that, but the Bible says that as he, as he grew, that he was weaned. The Bible doesn't say much about Sarah, but we would assume that that might have been a sort of a bittersweet thing for her. But notice what Abraham's doing. Child's weaned, and what's Abraham doing? He's throwing a party. He's celebrating, right? Abraham, perhaps in his, in his mind, is, is thinking to himself, hey, we're one day closer to little Isaac taking over the family farm. Uh, we're one day closer to little Isaac getting a wife and, and, uh, and having some, some grandchildren that we, that we can enjoy. And mama's over here, she's boohooing and she's sorrowful and filled with sorrow because little Isaac is growing and Abraham's saying, it's party time, right? Oftentimes that sometimes is the difference between fathers and mothers. What was a sad day in the life of Sarah was a joyous day in the life of Abraham. Sarah waited 90 years for this child. In these two to three years in which they were connected, she was feeding him and nursing him and caring for his every need. Those two to three years must have sped by faster than she would have hoped. Sarah was perhaps maybe in a state of melancholy and nostalgia. Abraham is throwing a party of great celebration. And typically, typically, not always, but typically it is the mama who wishes to hold on to the child and keep them small. But a necessary ingredient for all moms is a loose grip. Let me just say two things as it relates to this. Number one, can I encourage you to cherish the time you have with your children. Cherish the time that you have with them in your home. Because these years are short and they grow so fast, cherish the moments you have when your children are with you in the home. Spend time with them. Do spontaneous things with them. Teach them diligently. Express your love to them and make sacrifices for them. And secondly, can I encourage you not only to cherish the time you have with your children, when we think about a loose grip, can I say secondly, at the appointed time, at the appointed time, set them free to do what God has designed for them. Set them free to follow the Lord, to live for the Lord, to make a tremendous impact and difference in this world. The day is coming when your children will leave your home to create their own home. This is a day in which most moms dread and most dads are maybe prepared to throw a party for. The mindset, listen, the mindset of a loose grip enables you to raise them. Listen, enables you to raise them for this purpose. In other words, I have them right now. But because I understand this concept of a loose grip, I understand that I'm, I'm raising them for a purpose. I'm raising them someday to set them free. Set them free for what? To live for themselves? To make a lot of money? To be a success? No, I'm going to set them free to do what God has designed them to do. You see, this is the day. That's the day that you've been preparing yourself and them for for the past however many years it was that you had them in your home. And so set them free to run their own race for the honor and glory of God. The years of having children in our home go by faster than any of us would like. Cherish these moments, but do keep in mind that your children belong to the Lord and that you're raising them to do what he has designed and created them to do. In other words, don't hold on to them so tightly that they can't develop their own identity and that they can't follow God completely and fully to do whatever it is God has designed and created them to do. So we think about our great responsibility as parents. Don't you suppose that if we would find these four ingredients in our lives and in our homes, it would do a world of good for us, wouldn't it? These come straight from God's Word, straight from the Bible. Abraham and Sarah were not a perfect couple. They were not a perfect home. They certainly were a good home. They're a great example for us to follow. 
And may God help each and every one of us, not just moms, but dads as well, to be the parents that God has created us to be. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed as we prepare to enter a time of invitation.